welcome to this week's presentation from Bethesda, a church community where anyone can belong. We hope that the following presentation encourages you in your faith journey. Thanks for listening. this series, uh, I Am series, that we've been uh, journeying through the last number of weeks, and this uh, message this morning is entitled, I Am, anyone know? Four. I Am Four. And uh, we've, Pastor Bruce kind of already preambled it a little bit, but we've been talking about this uh, for some time now, and if you've been around Bethesda over the last number of years, you've probably heard us talk about this word four in the context of us being for St. John's or, or for our community in some way. And our, some of our outreach initiatives and things that we've been, been doing have been connected to this whole theme of being for St. John's. And, and so, you see, we don't just want to be a church that's in the community, but we want to be a church that's for the community. Anyone with me on that? That we just don't want to be a church that just exists and just takes up residence on one Eskasoni place and it's a building in the community. We don't just want to be a church in the community, but we want to be a church that is for the community. And so that's why we say that we are for St. John's. We want to be culture changers in this society, in this city. We want to impact our city and beyond with the love and the grace of God and the truth of his word and the truth of the gospel. And we want people to know that there's a place that they can turn, even in the middle of their doubts, even in the middle of their questions, in the middle of their brokenness, and in the middle of their pain, in their searching, and so many more things. We want, the people, we want people to know that there's a place that they can turn, and there's someone that they can turn to, and his name is Jesus. Amen? That's what we want. And you see, the church was never intended to just be a place for Christians to gather together once a week just to get together to see one another, but it's intended to be a place where anyone can come and hear about the goodness of God like we sang about a moment ago and experience God's love and his grace and his mercy in their lives. This place ought to be a place of healing. It should be a place of grace and community where we grow together, and yes, where we get together to encourage one another. And so that's what we talk about when we want to be a church that's for St. John's. You see, as we look into scripture this morning, we're going to look at a parable that Jesus told. Now, if, you've, if you're here and you're new to church, and maybe because it's not unusual to have people for the first time coming and joining us here, and it's their first time ever experiencing a Christian church gathering, if that's you today, and, or if you've, uh, it's new to you and you've never heard this word parable, uh, we just wanna, I just want to simply explain, a parable that Jesus told is simply a short story that packed a punch, okay? It's a short story that packs a punch. And a parable was meant to draw in the listener so that they could relate to what was being said and what was being taught. And of course, Jesus was the master storyteller. He was the best storyteller of all time, in my opinion. And when Jesus wanted to convey a moral point or principle, he would do this most often through telling a parable through telling a story that packed a punch. So this morning, I want to look at a portion of scripture with you that includes one of, the most, one of the most famous parables that Jesus ever spoke about. And even if church hasn't been something that's been a part of your life for a long time, you may have heard the story or the parable of the Good Samaritan. And, and, and this story, it comes to us in response to two questions that were posed to Jesus by a lawyer. 
So this lawyer talks with Jesus, and there's a group of people, and he asks Jesus two questions that kind of spur on this parable. And we're going to look at that together for the next few moments. And so with that in mind, that context in mind, we're going to turn in Scripture to Luke, Luke's Gospel, chapter 10. Luke's Gospel, chapter 10, and we're going to start reading in verse 25. And so this is the scene. This is what happened. The lawyer is in conversation with Jesus. He's gathered with a few people, and this is what takes place. It says this, on one occasion, an expert in the law stood up to test Jesus. This is what he said. He's, he, he just wanted to, to test Jesus in what he was teaching. He said, teacher, what must I do to inherit eternal life? That was his question. He said, what must I do to inherit eternal life. Now, when, when we think about a lawyer, I have a brother-in-law who's a lawyer. When we think of a lawyer, we sometimes go directly to a courtroom when you have a lawyer that's defending someone or maybe defending you in some way, but we, we go to that. But in this context that we're reading from scripture, it's important to understand that this lawyer would have been an expert in the Old Testament law, in the Torah, and in the Pentateuch. Uh, so, so he was an expert. He, if you wanted to know what the Old Testament law said about something, you would go to a guy like this and ask your question because he was an expert. Those first five books of our Old Testament, Genesis, Exodus, Leviticus, Numbers, and Deuteronomy, the law, he was an expert in all of this. And now here's this man from Galilee, Jesus, who's come into town, and, and he, he came from, really, he came from obscurity. Jesus came, you know, claiming to be the Son of God. He was performing miracles, and, and he's teaching people. And so it's possible that this lawyer was very well-intentioned in his question. Because, you see, he wants to test Jesus because that's a part of his role. That's a part of his job. He was an expert in the law. And so if someone were to come along with a new teaching, he would have to determine if what was being taught was in line with what the Old Testament had taught the Jewish people. And so it's not that he was attacking Jesus or trying to belittle Jesus necessarily, he was probably just doing his job. And he was making sure what Jesus was saying was true. And so he asked Jesus this question. And, and the bottom line question that he asked, bottom line teaching to this question he asked, he says, what must I do to inherit eternal life? And that's the question. The question is, what shall I do? And, and this is Jesus' response. And, and what you will notice is that oftentimes when Jesus is asked a question, he, he responds with another question, right? He does this time and time again. And, and he does this for a reason. He does this in order to retain his authority. Is, and really, this is what good teachers do. I know some of you are in the room and you're teachers. I remember when I was being taught in Bible college and a question was posed to me and I thought I knew what the answer was, but then I would ask the question to the professor and say, well, what do you think the answer is? And he wouldn't just tell me an answer. He would ask me another question and I would be frustrated by that. But he maintained the authority and he was, he was wanting me or, or Jesus in his, this case was wanting the student to come to their own conclusion and discover the answer on their own, which is what good teachers do. And so that's what's happening as Jesus answers the question with a question. So Jesus responds with this. He says, well, what is written in the law? Jesus replied, how do you read it? In other words, how do you understand it? Another uh, translation would say. Jesus is saying, you know the law well. 
You teach it. You instruct other people as to what it says. You are an expert in the law. And so he says, you tell me, what's your understanding of what the law says in answering this question of what must I do to inherit eternal life? And so the lawyer, he answered, and he said, love the Lord your God with all your heart and with all your soul and with all your strength and with all your mind and love your neighbor as yourself. Everyone say neighbor. neighbor. You see, he's quoting here from the law. He's quoting from Deuteronomy chapter 6 and Leviticus chapter 19 when he's answering this question. He knows the law inside out. And so that's where he's taking this answer from and he's posing it back to Jesus. And, and I mean, to me, I mean, it sounds right. You know, it looks right. And in fact, the, Jesus responded to his answer to his own question by saying, you have answered correctly, Jesus responded. But Jesus adds another important detail to his reply. He says this, do this and you will live. Do this and you will live. You see, this is why this is so important. And Jesus was responding from the law as well. He was referring to a text in Leviticus chapter 18, verse 5. And, and, and remember the question for a second. The, the question is, what must I do? That's what he asked him. What must I do to inherit eternal life? And, and he gives a correct answer, but it's not quite complete. The lawyer doesn't fully understand the answer to his own question, and Jesus helps him by adding that part at the end. And this is why it's significant. This is why it's significant. Sorry. Jesus was referencing the law himself from Leviticus 18.5 when it says this in Leviticus. It says, You shall therefore keep my statutes and my rules. If a person does them, he shall live by them. I am the Lord. If a person does them, he shall live by them. When it says he shall live by them, here's what it's saying. It, he's saying, if you think there's something that you can do to inherit eternal life, if you think there's something that you can do to inherit eternal life, and that something is to love God with all your heart, mind, soul, and strength, and to love your neighbor, then let's understand the full, understand, the full context of what that means. The full understanding of the law is that you have to live by it. You live by it. In other words, you have to do it habitually and without fail for the rest of your life. Can you do that? Can you do that? And so, all of a sudden, this, this is so good. Jesus is, is, is brilliant. All of a sudden, just one little phrase and this is where the lawyer finds himself. I mean, he's the expert. And here's what's happening. The very law that he thought he repealed to gain eternal life has now become the very law that condemns him. You see what I mean? He's caught here now because the very law that he says is the reason why we can do this and have eternal life is the same law that condemns him. And here's how. I can tell you my answer, but the Apostle Paul writes it plainly in Galatians 3.10. He explains it this way. He says, for all who rely on the works of the law are under a curse. For it is written, cursed be everyone who does not abide by what? All things that are written in the book of the law and to 
do them. And so the, the book of the law had over 600 laws, Levitical laws, Old Testament laws that you had to live by. And so Paul is saying, cursed be everyone who does not abide by all things, not some things, but all things written in the law, and do them. I mean, this is huge because Jesus is challenging this man's understanding of what it takes to have eternal life. Jesus is saying, if you expect to have eternal life by living by the law, then if you break any of the over 600 laws, even just one time, even just once, if you're standing in the line of Costco and the person in front of you is being really slow and you get frustrated and you get mad or angry in your spirit, you've just broken a law. If you look at someone else's wife in a way that says, I wonder what it's like to be her husband, you just broke the law. If you look at someone else's boat or car and say, man, and you're jealous of what they have, you, you've broken the law and you've just forfeited e eternal life. Because if you break it once, then the law is useless for you. You forfeit it. And Paul would go on to tell us that the law was never meant, it was never intended to bring salvation, but the law was meant to be a guide to point us toward Jesus. It's the wrong question that he's asking. He's asking, what must I do? But that's the wrong question. Because as we know now, and we understand because of Jesus and God's grace in the cross is that you can't do anything to earn eternal life. C.S. Lewis, a famous biblical writer and, and theologian, and, and he also wrote some great books, Lion, Witch, and Wardrobe, and Chronicles of Narnia, all that. Brilliant man. He was once asked to explain in one word the difference between Christianity and every other world religion. He was asked that question, and do you know what he said? And he said, it's, it's very simple, actually. And do you know what word he used? Anyone? He used the word grace. He said, the answer is grace. You see, what is grace? Grace is God's unmerited favor toward us. Grace is about giving us something we don't deserve or that we could never achieve on our own. You see, it's not about what you do, it's about who you know. It's about Jesus. And we'll get back to that piece again in, in a few moments. But, but this lawyer, I mean, he's, he's a smart man. He's not dumb. And all of a sudden, the spotlight is kind of put on him, and the people around him, he feels the spotlight's on him, and so he's going to look for this kind of loophole and, and as a good lawyer would do, a good expert would do, he's looking for a loophole in this, and the loophole takes this form. You see, this man was Jewish, and he clearly, and clearly he would define neighbor, that word neighbor, as probably another good, God-fearing Jew. And so maybe he's thinking, you know what, if I can love God, which I can do that, so if I can love God with all my heart, and I can love my neighbor, I can love my fellow Jewish brothers and sisters, God-fearing Jews. If I can do that, well, maybe I can, do, I can, get, I can earn myself eternal life. So there's a bit of a loophole. And so he asks this question, and he goes on. He says, says this, but he wanted to justify himself. He, he had to speak up for himself. So he asked Jesus this question. He goes, well, who is my neighbor? Who is my neighbor? And in reply, Jesus said, and this is where Jesus goes into the short story that packs a punch. So that was the two questions. What must I do to in inherit eternal life? And the second question is, 
who is my neighbor, which prompts this story, this parable. Jesus said, a man was going down from Jerusalem to Jericho when he was attacked by robbers. They stripped him of his clothes, they beat him, and they went away, leaving him half dead. This is actually a picture of the very road that he's describing in this story. This is a road that leads from from Jerusalem down to Jericho. And tourists can visit this today, and they, they can find it and look at it for themselves, and maybe some of you in the room have been there. But this will give you an idea of what that landscape looks like. You see, this road had a nick- nickname. It was actually, the nickname of the road is it's called the Way of Blood because it was such a dangerous road to travel. There's a lot of places uh, uh, where robbers would hide in crevices and behind rocks along the side of the road so that they could jump out and rob people. On the other side of the road, oftentimes, there was a steep cliff, sometimes over 2,000 feet of a drop. And so... This was the path, and this road was about 17 miles long from from Jerusalem down to Jericho, and this is the path that Jesus is describing. And it's something that the people, the listeners, would have been very familiar with. Many of them would have traveled this road, just like you've traveled uh, the Outer Ring. Just as dangerous, right? Especially when you throw moose into the picture. And so this man, who was traveling on the road, Jesus said he was beaten up, he was robbed of his possessions, and he was left for dead. And Jesus was about to give what I would consider and what most people, most theologians have studied scripture would consider one of the most socially charged stories that Jesus ever tells. This is one of the most socially charged stories that Jesus ever tells. He goes on to say, he said, a priest happened to be going down the same road. So so he says, "It, it just so happened, or as fate would have it, here comes a priest. Well, isn't this good news in the story? right? It's a Jewish pastor, basically. And ha- now he's the one that's going to come up on this beaten, half-dead Jewish man. And, and, and I mean, the listeners are thinking, well, well isn't this perfect? I- I'm sure he'll help him out. And so the hearers were thinking the priest would do something. He would become the hero of, the, of this story, right? But Jesus continues, but when, this, when he seen the man or when he saw the man, he passed by on the other side. I think that would have been a bit surprising to the listeners, and so they lean in to listen closer. Jesus goes on to say, so too a Levite. And do you see what Jesus is doing? These are publicly respected, elite Jewish men who are traveling. And again, you would think the Levite would help his Jewish brother. He's like the assistant to the priest. But when he came to the place and saw him, he too passed by on the other side. So they're thinking, okay, he's not going to be the hero of the story. Who's going to be the hero of the story? And they're waiting with anticipation. And Jesus' next three words would have caused them to go, (gasps) so you ready when I read the first three words of the next verse? Everyone's going to go, (gasps) but a Samaritan. (gasps) Exactly. (laughs) That's how they would have responded. Because Samaritans and Jews, they did not interact with one another. They did not like each other. And he says, but a Samaritan, as he traveled, he came to where the man was, and when he saw him, he took pity on him. Some versions say he, took, he, he had compassion on him. You see, compassion, that word compassion or pity, that's what was lacking in the religious people. They saw with their eyes. 
The need was right in front of them, but they ignored it. But the Samaritan has compassion. And it's really difficult for me to describe to you the impact of using a Samaritan as the hero in this story. It's very difficult for us to understand. You see, it, it's, it, it just was not done because for centuries there was a bigotry and, a, and prejudices between Jews and Samaritans. And in many ways, the Samaritans were the despised enemies of the Jews. You think of the person who you believe is the most opposite of you, who doesn't have any of the same values as you, who lives a different lifestyle as you, who has different beliefs than you. You think of that person, that was what a Samaritan felt like to a Jewish person. Very different. But just look at the compassion of this Samaritan in the story that Jesus is telling. He says he went to him and he bandaged his wounds, pouring on oil and wine. Then he put the man on his own donkey. He brought him to an inn and took care of him. The next day he took out two denarii and gave them to the innkeeper. He said, look after him. And he said, when I return, I will reimburse you for any extra expense that you might have. So he describes this scene where the Samaritan gives of himself. He gives of his wealth. He gives of his, his own time and energy and, and things to take care of this man. And then Jesus asked this question to the listeners. Which one of these three do you think was a neighbor to the man who fell into the hands of the robbers? And the lawyer was asking Jesus what a neighbor was, but Jesus was describing who a neighbor is. And look at the lawyer's response. He, even, he wouldn't even say the word Samaritan. I find it amusing. He says, well, I guess it was the guy who showed him mercy. <laughs> it was the guy who had mercy on him. And that's how he answered. And Jesus ends this scene with this statement. Jesus said to him, or told him, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. What must I do to inherit the kingdom of God or to in inherit eternal life? Who is my neighbor? Here's the story. Describing his, the answer and the instruction, go and do likewise. Go and do likewise. Jesus has called us to, a be, to be a representation of his love in this world. We are called to do as the Samaritan had done and to show compassion to those around us. This is why we don't just want to be a church that's in the community, but we want to be a church that is for the community. We, we, you know, that's why we say we are for St. John's. I mean, yes, the church for, for many years, and, and I talk to my unchurched friends, and I have for a long time, and it comes up in conversation. The church for, for so, so many years has, has been known for everything that it's against, and, and that's the conversation. But we want to change the conversation to talk about what the church is for and, and, and that we are for our community. We are for families. We are for the lonely and the broken. We are for the addicted. We are for those who need Compassion. We are for one another and so much more. And by going into our city in different ways, 
Whether it's through a block party like we did last weekend or whether it's through other opportunities or just simply going and being a Christian in your environment, that's how we can be for St. John's. This past weekend, I just got to say, was an incredible weekend. Uh, if you are part of it, thank you. Some people in the room are wearing their four shirts or four St. John's shirts, and that represents just some of the between 130 and 150 volunteers that helped us out last weekend. But this is some of the scenes that you would have seen. We hosted three block parties, if you weren't familiar, one in Torbay, Roncalli Elementary in Airport Heights, and East Point Elementary in Virginia Park. This is Virginia Park. And look at the smiling faces, and look at the children, and look at the community that came out just to be a part of it, just so we could show love and have fun and enjoy time and rub shoulders with our neighbors, with our community. And so many people, we even had dinosaurs. <laughs> so many people came out to enjoy this time, and we were able to serve our community. And by serving our community, we were able to have conversation and talk to people and meet people and build relationship with, and build rapport in our community. This is one of the ways that we believe we can do that. We also do our Four St. John's Christmas, and, and that's coming up soon, and just a little plug on that. Our Four St. John's Christmas projects, where we do things like we feed those who are hungry, we sponsor single-parent families to help them during the Christmas season by sponsoring them and helping them provide uh, gifts for their children, or we partner with community centers to, to practically meet the needs of families and, and individuals who are in need, and we do this out of a heart of compassion, out of a heart of love for our city, to let people know that, that there's somewhere that they can turn, there's people that care and have compassion. As Jesus and as Him lived out through us. You see, it's clear in Scripture that this posture of compassion and love for others comes directly from the heart of God. This posture of love and compassion comes directly from the heart of God. In another passage in the Gospels that directly speaks about eternal life, Jesus speaks these words in one of His answers to someone who's inquiring again. And this is another way he explained it. He says, then the righteous will answer him, Lord, when did we see you hungry and feed you? Or thirsty and give you something to drink? When did we see you, Lord, a stranger and invite you in? Or, or needing clothes to clothe you? When did we see you, uh, as a, you sick or in prison and go to visit you? And the next verse says, the king will reply, truly I tell you, Whatever you did for the least of these, the least of these brothers and sisters of mine, you did for me. That's why showing love and compassion for our neighbor is directly connected to the heartbeat of God. Directly connected to the heartbeat of God. And when you bless another person, and when you meet a need of someone else, you are meeting a need in the name of Jesus. And it says, when you serve a cup of cold water in my name, that, that's blessed. And that touches the heart of God because he has a heart of love and compassion to those who are farthest from him. The interesting thing is in the Bible, some of the people that were the farthest from Jesus were the ones that liked Jesus the most. And the ones that we expected Jesus to say the farthest from, he got proximate, he got face-to-face -face with because people need to know him. As the band prepares to come back, I just want to say, when we say we are for St. John's, 
Or when we say we are for Torbay or whatever the case may be, I mean, that can sound big, and I know, I know it does. That can sound big and quite frankly a little overwhelming if we try to figure out how we can be for an entire city. How do we be for St. John's? I mean, I mean, St. John's has, has a huge population, uh, you know, Torbay. We, we don't even have really much of a presence. How do we be for an entire community? And that's a valid question. I think about it. How can we be for St. John's? That's so big. Nobody knows who we are maybe. But think of it through this lens for a moment. What would it look like if you and I were to be truly for the individual that's directly in front of us? If we are for the individual that we interact with at the grocery store this week, or the child that we coach on a team, or the parent that we have conversation with in the stands while the children play? What if we were for that student in our class if you're a teacher, or, or that teacher if you're a student? What, what does it mean to be for then what would it look like if the next time that you see someone struggling that you took the time and energy and you 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 encourage them and you're for them in that moment in some way you see in order for us for us to be for st john's we need to get proximate to the needs around us we need to get close to the needs around us we need to get close to the brokenness that's around us we need get to get close to those who are struggling and addicted, lost, have questions. We must get proximate in order to truly be for someone. We need to be willing to stop in the middle of our day, traveling down the road, and take time to make a difference in someone's life to be generous to others, to show compassion and grace to those who need it. Yes, there are times when we have an opportunity to bless you know, hundreds of people in a day like we did last weekend where 800 plus people came out to our block parties. That's wonderful. And we're able to do a big splash in the community. That's great. But the real way we can be for St. John's is to be aware of the people that God puts in your path each and every day. That's what it is to be on mission. That's what it is to be about the heartbeat of God. It's to care for the person in front of you. It's to pray each morning, God, put someone in my path today that I can encourage, that I can talk to, that I can share truth with, that I can show compassion and love to. And if you pray that prayer, I guarantee you God will do it. He will answer that prayer. And you'll have opportunities in the rhythms of your life to be on mission and to be for St. John's or Portugal Cove or St. Philip's or Torbay or Kilbride wherever you may be from so in this story we have a hero of the story who's a Samaritan he would have been someone who, has, who had been ridiculed he would have been hated belittled marginalized, rejected but yet he would give him himself to care for and essentially save the life of this man. Does this posture and the actions of the Samaritan in this story sound familiar to you at all? Because I believe there's a correlation between how Jesus uses the example, this example to teach us how we need to live and how we need to neighbor 
but also I see myself in the story from a different perspective as well. You see, I'm the one who on my way through life got beaten down by life. Or maybe you've been beaten down in some way, you've been broken in some way, and the enemy has robbed you of something. Maybe he's stolen something from you. Maybe you feel like you've went through seasons where you feel like the one on the side of the road who's been left for half dead and you don't know what to do and you can't even help yourself. Because you see, that's what sin does in our life. But before we even knew Jesus, Jesus knew us and he saw us and he showed us compassion and before Jesus came there was a priest and a Levite who represent the law but the law could do nothing to come to my rescue and to cure my pain and my hurt the law just walks on by and they are powerless to bring healing to my lost and broken life but here came the good Samaritan here came the good Samaritan here came Jesus the one who seems most unlikely he comes and he loves and he cares and he heals the very people who have hurt him and rejected him and he paid the highest price for you and for me and for all who would receive his grace he gave it all he gave it all sin and he gave me new life and we can be saved through his grace and his love and his mercy because of what he did on the cross that's who Jesus is I'll conclude with this if you were to continue in the gospel of Luke the very next scene was a familiar scene for many of where Jesus went to the house of a woman named Mary and her sister Martha, right? And so Martha, when Jesus shows up, Martha's scurrying around, being busy, trying to tidy up the house, prepare food in the kitchen, whatever she's doing. And all the while, her sister Mary is sitting at the feet of Jesus, listening to what Jesus had to say. And at one point it says, Martha even asked Jesus, Jesus, would you tell my sister to come help me? And Jesus responds. He says, no. He says, for Mary is doing the only thing that is necessary. She is spending time with Jesus. You know, I don't think it's happenstance that this scene is directly connected to the interaction with the lawyer just before. Because here's why I think there's a connection here. If you're a follower of Jesus here in this room, and if you understand that is part of the Christian life to follow Jesus' command when he said to go and do likewise, it's important that we first spend time with Jesus. We have to look like him. If we want to look like him, if we want to love like him, if we want to be like him, we have to spend time with him. We have to spend time with him. We have to spend time with him. We have to talk to him, sit before him, and take time like we are today to be encouraged by the word and to find ourselves in community. And that's why we've tied this series to our small groups. So that you in your small group this week can sit with other believers and other people and talk about what it is that God is doing in your life. What it is you're struggling with. What questions you might have. And talk about ways where you can take God's word and put it into action and be accountable to others. 
That's why this is so powerful. In order to be effective in being for St. John's, it starts by being close to the feet of Christ and also to be connected in community with others. And that will strengthen you and prepare you for what God has for you each day. And when you're surrounded by his presence and when you learn to love God wholeheartedly before you know it, you start to see people differently. And you become more loving, more generous, and more caring and compassionate toward other people because you've been with Jesus. And grace and the grace and the mercy which has radically changed your life can begin to flow out of your life in how you treat others so that just like you and me who've received his grace, that we can share that same grace with others. And no longer do we compare ourselves to others or see a divide between ourselves and others, but we realize that every single one of us, without Jesus, but by his grace, we would be lost. We would be. We could be that lost, hopeless, addicted, hurting, broken person in need of a savior. And that's what we're called. Thanks for listening. If you're interested in learning more about our church community, please visit our website, Bethesda.ca, and consider joining us for a gathering soon.